This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jobsolete. I'm Helen Hong. And I'm Matt Beat. And today it's all about tall ship sailors. And it was like whole, you know, sides of beef just kind of thrown into this vat of you know, wet brine and like salty, salty, salty water and just kind of left. Imagine you're forced to live in an RV for a few months. You're on the open road and constantly on the move. Now imagine sharing that RV with 20 others and that you don't get to stop anywhere to freshen up or get fresh food. In fact, there's nowhere to stop. You're trapped on that RV in extremely close quarters for months. Well, I bring this up because today we're talking about sailors and not modern sailors who have access to modern amenities, but sailors on tall ships. It was a difficult life, but as we'll learn in today's episode, one that led to great camaraderie. Yes, today we are going to the age of sail. So Helen, I think we all know what a sailor is, you know, someone who, or do we know what a sailor is? I, I mean, I guess the most recent things that I'm thinking about are Pirates of the Caribbean, because that's kind of the first place I went. I also think of like the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, those, like that's kind of what I'm thinking about, tall ships, kind of before, like you said, like things that were powered by sail or by the currents, like you, they didn't have an engine on them. You couldn't just like turn on the engine and just head wherever you needed to go. But going back to your intro, being trapped in an RV with 20 other <laughs> stinky humans with no way to get off, as someone who's very sensitive to smells... That is kind of my personal nightmare. It's nice and cozy on there. It's not not much space at all. You're cramped and you know you're bumping your head because the when you go below deck, it's, it's the ceiling so low and yeah. you're you're sleeping almost on top of each other. And this, yeah, the smells would definitely. I think I imagine you'd get used to it probably, but. <laughs> Yucky, gross. <laughs> That's so interesting that you think that you say that because, 
like when you when you see tall ships in movies like Pirates of the Caribbean is a perfect example. Like they seem really big, like the ship itself seems really big. But yeah. then if you think about it, it was a lot of people and you can't you couldn't sleep on the top deck. You had to sleep below deck. And so, yeah, it was, below deck was definitely cramped and everyone was like sardined in. And that yuck. Yeah, so I mean, and uh, you, they're not taking showers. They're not. Oh, like I'm going to freshen up every day, and combined with the diet is not very good. So you're probably going to have a lot of bowel movements going on oh. that are not very pleasant. <laughs> oh. Sorry to go there already, but the you know fresh food is not going to be available for most of these sailors because they're out at months for months at a time, and that's why. Almost famously, many of the sailors got scurvy. So, Matt, like, what's the difference between a tall ship and, like, a modern-day ship? I think we should start with our expert, Casey Crowell. She is our tall ship expert, and here's her definition of a tall ship. Tall ship's kind of a—it's kind of a funny definition. It's one of those things where you kind of know it when you see it. But generally, it means a very traditional-looking, traditionally-rigged, old-school sailing ship. You know, some some are definitely more modern and have more modern elements that you would see on, like, a modern sailboat. But generally, you know, you, you really do know when you see it. They're very old-school-looking, and it is very evocative of those, like, Pirates of the Caribbean kind of, kind of images that pop into your head. Yeah, so... An old style sailboat. It's not, you know, it's bigger than your modern yacht, like or a one sail sloop. You have the big sails. Many people have different definitions of what a tall ship is, but it is what you think. What when you think of like a what a, a stereotypical pirate ship was. Also, Matt, I know this is a sore point between you and I, but had you ever watched Game of Thrones? <laughs> I've seen a few episodes. I just haven't seen all of them, Helen. I can't believe I'm podcast partners with someone who's never watched all of Game of Thrones. But you know what? That's a topic for another day. But had yeah. you watched every episode of Game of Thrones, like I have repeatedly, you would have seen many tall ships on that show. I mean, that's the thing, though. That's maybe where the misconception comes from. Why, like, we assume that they're huge is because of what we see on TV or in movies. Yeah, but they were not. They were not really that big. Yeah, like the ones on Game of Thrones, they're literally transporting dragons at one point. You know, <laughs> like... <laughs> the term tall ship actually was popularized in the 1800s. So hundreds of years after they first appeared by folks like Joseph Conrad, who was a mariner, but more famously, Henry Thoreau, he referenced the term tall ship in his work, A Week on the Concord and Merrimack Rivers. So and there's a, I have a quote here from that, that book, quote, down out at its mouth, the dark, no, maybe I should do this in an accent. I don't know. Quote. <laughs> What what accent would you pick? Early American accent, of course. Okay, 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 please. Well, now that you've said it, you have to do it. Quote, Down out at its mouth, the dark inky main blending with the blue above, Plum Island, its sand ridges scalloping along the horizon like the sea serpent, the distant outline broken by many a tall ship, still against the sky. And because, <laughs> unquote, and yeah, and so many people excellent, read th excellent Thoreau, accent. they, they, you know, it just kind of caught on. So that's why they were called tall ships after that. So, oh, so is he the one that, that gave it the name tall ship? That popularized it. Yeah. Like I said, the, 
these tall ships had been around since at least the, the late 1500s. It's like historians pretty much, they set the beginning of the age of sail beginning in 1571 because that was, as you know, the Battle of Lepanto. <laughs> Everybody sure. knows the Battle of Lepanto, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> So Matt, we were talking about the lack of cleanliness on the boat and probably the disgusting odors that were happening. But what was life like other than that? Well, Casey will describe what you would typically see on the docks. I think if you walk down to a ship of dock, you know, in 1850s, you'd see a lot of men, really predominantly men. This was this was a man's man's world, uh, and a lot of young men. You know, a lot of the a lot of the sailors and the cadets and the apprentices, like we're talking in their late teens, early twenties. Oh, wow. uh, this was a very a very kind of young man dominated uh, profession. You know, and, and then once you once you kind of move back a bit, you know, like the all the skilled tradesmen would typically have been a little bit older. Uh, you know, these were very often men that kind of aged out of their like useful years as deckhands you know maybe they had some kind of injury or you know just you're not as fast as you were when you were 18 climbing up in the rigs so you kind of move into a more skilled profession and again that kind of goes back to the the apprenticeship thing right where you like come in as a small as a young cadet and you know work as a deckhand but then maybe move into sail making or carpentry or you know, engineering or something like that. But yeah, it was typically a lot of young men. Sounds delightful. Yeah. <laughs> Does sounds, it? Sounds like uh, like I could skip Tinder for a month if I hung out around the docks with all these young men. Ah, I don't know if you'd want to do that. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> rough, uh, rough characters. And, you know, we usually think of pirates as the ones who were the rough characters. But no, they were all rough characters. No matter... And it wasn't a job that you you went to college for and, you know, you worked towards off the boat. You know, you just pretty much were oftentimes you were thrown onto the boat, sometimes literally, and kind of forced to be there and like work. You had to work your way up over time. And when you say rough characters. Do you mean that everybody who worked on the boat would have like an eye patch and be like, matey. <laughs> I mean, they would probably cuss like sailors. I mean, they would. <gasps> That's they would, right. That's where that comes from. Cuss is, like sailors. Yeah. It would not be a place for grandma to, to visit for sure. Oh, um, grandma would be like, oh, my so, word. <laughs> let's just do a weird thought experiment here. Let's just pretend that you're, you're a, a young man at okay. the height of the age of sail. So let's say it's the, the 1600s and uh, you're okay. a 16-year-old a uh, British man who finds himself kidnapped and kidnapped. thrown onto a ship and you're forced to work. This is actually quite common for, they actually, there's a term for it called shanghaiing, where you would just be forced to, you'd be kidnapped and then forced to work on a boat. So Okay, already as an Asian person, I'm already seeing this is problematic, shanghaiing. I don't know what it's re in reference to, but I don't, I don't like it. But also... Wait a minute. So I'm a 16-year-old young British man and some dude just like puts a bag over my head and drags me into a cart or something and then drives me to the dock and throws me on a boat. That's how I got this job. They'd probably drug you first before they did that. But yeah, 
<laughs> but that's wow. how many sailors got their start. Was like, wait, they were is that be? Is that because the job was so crappy? Like it was a job that nobody wanted to do because it was so hard. So they had to literally kidnap people to do it. Well, it was part of it for sure. Because yeah, they, I mean, it, and think about it though. You know, it's like just a, an easy way to get help. <laughs> yeah, and what are they going to do if they? I mean, they're kind of stuck. They're not going to escape. You know, what are you going to do? Jump out into the ocean and swim back to shore that's hundreds of miles away? When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
so yeah, let's let's pretend that we that you as a a young British man was kidnapped in the 1600s. You're thrown onto a ship. You wake up. You're like, oh gosh. So, what what do you think your job would be starting out? What do you think they'd throw, let you do to start working? Oh man! Or force wow. you to do? This is so mind boggling. Okay, so I'm assuming if I'm a young man that I'm strong and and healthy, relatively healthy. What would they force me to do? Oh, like in the in the pirate movies, there's always the guy who's <laughs> pulling up the sail. You know, like there's a sail and you have to pull on this rope to drag the sail up and then lower the sail. Like that's that's the first job that I think of if I'm like living on a tall ship. And that's very likely, yeah, doing the kind of the the physical requirements. So there's like a, so keeping the mast in place, that's called standing rigging and and the and running rigging handles all the action aboard a boat under sail. So moving the sails to adjust to, to the wind. But yeah, you'd be doing a lot of that, pulling ropes, like you said. If you're really young, you might actually be like a what we call a cabin boy, which is an assistant to the to the captain, which basically the captain just says, hey, do this, like whatever they want you to do, they have to do it. But yeah, so like what are we talking like, how young are we talking? Are we talking like 13 or? Yeah, some some as young as 13, 14. Yeah. And then you would probably work your way up. So probably for the first few months, you would be an ordinary seaman, you'd be just kind of at the bottom of the the hierarchy, not sleeping very much, just constantly making sure the ship is moving where it's supposed to go. You might work your way up to one of the higher positions over time. Some of the ones who were not actually kidnapped, so that you probably wouldn't be doing this, but they sometimes <laughs> some some ships had carpenters if they were lucky, or the, oh, the ones yeah. who actually fixed the ship if it things started to break on the ship, or sailmakers who who specifically fixed the sails. Oh yeah, because you can't kidnap those those. That's not a random job. Like you actually yeah. have to know what you're doing to do that. Yeah. And well, but you could learn a lot of this stuff. If you're on a ship long enough, you're going to learn it all. You know, you could work your way all the way up to captain over a period of several years, of course, but be in charge of the entire ship. Isn't that the dream? Yeah. I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a kidnapped 16 year old boy who was drugged and woke up randomly on a boat, I'd be like, yeah, my dream is now to be captain of this boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's only one way to go, right? Wow. I mean, I got to tell you, you're not painting a pretty picture for me here. Like, I don't think I would volunteer for this gig. Well, it doesn't get any better. I mean, back in the day, it was a pretty dangerous uh, dangerous job to have. These days, it's much more safe, I will say that. You know, these days, we have harnesses that we wear, and you know, we kind of clip into the rigging when we're climbing up in the rigging. But that was not the case back in the day. And it was pretty common for people to die at sea. Uh, and that was just kind of the way it was. Uh, you know, I think we have a very different, uh, <laughs> I think we have a very different relationship on the value of like human life these days. Uh, you know, it's even in like, even in more modern trades these days, like it's not acceptable for people to just kind of die on the job for no, no. but that was, you know, very much not the case back in the day of tall ships, you know. If you can imagine someone climbing up in the rigging 200 feet in the air and just kind of holding on for dear life, trying to like fold up a sail and furl a sail during a storm, you know, they didn't have any protection. They didn't have any, any special equipment. So it was, it was a very dangerous position. So not only have I been kidnapped, 
Not only have I been drugged and thrown on a boat and I wake up randomly like, what am I doing on this boat? Now I'm like, hey, kid, climb up that giant sail. There's no safety harness. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, not much downtime either. You're constantly worrying about the the ship itself, making sure that it's going where it needs to be. And sure, you might have a chance to eat every once in a while. So you want to know about the food? I definitely want to know about the food because I, I would imagine if this is my life, the food is going to be my only like source of comfort. Like, oh, at least lunch is happening soon. Okay. Well, I don't want to crush your dreams too much, but <laughs> here's Casey talking about some of the food. There was very little chance to enjoy anything fresh on board. You know, maybe you have some like fresh vegetables the first couple days out of the port, but if you're out on the open ocean for months or years at a time, everything that you have has to has to be able to be preserved in some way. So lots of pickling, lots of you know, lots of salt beef. Uh, like that was kind of the only way that they had to preserve their meat was these just huge barrels. And they talk about it in terms of barrels of. Uh, salt pork, salt beef, and it was like whole, you know, sides of beef just kind of thrown into this vat of, you know, wet brine, like salty, salty, salty water, and just kind of left. And the other, the other thing that I think a lot of people kind of associate with with shipboard food are the ship's biscuits. So a ship's biscuit is just this little biscuit, this little square or round piece of bread that has been preserved through baking. So, you know, one way to preserve things is to salt it or pickle it. But another way that you can preserve bread is to just bake it so long and so low that all the moisture just gets kind of evaporated and dehydrated out. So what you end up with is this very, very tough biscuit that's, you know, it's rock hard, but it's not going to melt. You know, it's not going to rot. It's not going to, it's not going to go bad because there's no moisture left in it to feed <laughs> the bacteria that, you know, that rot needs or the decay needs. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have so many thoughts on this, Matt, because... <laughs> This sounds miserable. So they've thrown a huge side of beef into a salty vat of water. Gross. It's like it's like beef sauerkraut. <laughs> Without the moisture, yeah. And then this bread. You know what this reminds me of? Have you ever bought like a baguette at the store and it's like delicious and soft and then like two days later you could literally play baseball with it? Yeah. Oh, I hate that. But she's saying this is what they ate on the regular. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny how, like, she essentially says it's technically edible. It's like it's so gross that even the bacteria doesn't like it. That's basically what she's saying. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. 
they said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know what? I I actually, like, I remember, you know, I think we all learned in school, like, sailors had scurvy right? Because they didn't have anything fresh. And like, that's when they started sucking on limes to mm-hmm. keep from getting scurvy. Yeah, yeah. And that's another thing that that I, I imagine was an issue was just fresh water. Like, yeah, because having... you, you have to carry it with you on the boat, right? Fresh water. And like, I'm assuming there's not an overabundance of fresh water. So here you are eating this extremely salty meal, every single meal, every single day. And you're like, oh my God, that was so salty. I'm so thirsty. If only I had some fresh water. <laughs> and they're like, here's your one cup that you're allowed today. Yeah. It had to be miserable. Well, now I see why you had to kidnap people for this job. Because who's volunteering for this? This is awful. It's Well, like- plenty of people today actually do sign up and volunteer to do this. Casey Crowell, who we've been talking to, guess what? She does this. She works on a tall ship for fun. What? 
What? <laughs> yeah. So the first, and, and she loves it. So I, I think it's hard to tell that Casey loves it when you hear her talk about her own experiences sometimes. So for example, in this clip, you'll hear kind of the uh, erratic sleep schedule that sailors still have, even today. So you're, you could be on from midnight to 4 a.m., and then, you know, you sleep from 4 till noon, and then noon to 4 p.m., you're on again, and then you sleep until midnight. And, you know, so there are these, these kind of rotational watch structures that you don't have to do if you're, if you're the cook, uh, which is really nice. I was, I was on the 12 to 4 watch for years working on boats, and it is kind of a brutal, it, it's a really brutal sleep schedule. Uh, so getting getting to kind of build your own schedule and, and build your own time is, is nice. Also, you know, it just feels good to be that kind of morale boost. Uh, is definitely working on boats today and working on tall ships today is nowhere near as difficult or grueling as it was in the 1850s. But it's still hard work and it can it can really grate on you and it can really take its toll. Wow. I'm super impressed that Casey is a tall ship person today because, like you said, like back in the day, there were no women in this job. But that's so cool that she's like a modern day tall ship sailor and she's a woman. And she, it sounds like you, everyone does like all the different jobs. So, like, you rotate. So, she's like, sometimes I'm on cook duty, sometimes I'm on this crazy like deck duty, and I have to do, you know, this crazy sleep schedule. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that today the tall ships are for like tourism or right like 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 you know like I think we've all seen tall ships like docked in a bay and it's like come see you know it's like a tourist attraction. Educational purposes is is the main reason why you you still see a lot of these ships operating and so yeah there are museums that come to life you know it's just a, it's great for for teaching uh, how it was and that's. Big reason why we know exactly how it was is because of their efforts. I just love Casey's story that she just went as a visitor, like a total newbie layman, and was like, hey, I think this is really neat. How do I get involved in this? (laughs) And they're like, here's a volunteer program that you can be part of. There was no kidnapping. Yes, it's great when you're not kidnapped to do this. Yeah, just volunteered. (laughs) She wasn't even paid. Uh, And as we're going to find out here, she absolutely just loves it. I mean, it's it's all she's all about it. There's one job in particular that she has done that she has enjoyed the most, and that is as a cook. The position that I keep on having a hard time saying no to when it's offered to me is working as a cook. There have been a couple times in the past few years where, you know, a friend of mine will be driving a boat, like a friend of mine will be casting a boat and someone, something will fall through and like their cook won't show up or their cook will have to end their contract early. And usually that's when I get a phone call saying, hey, uh, we really, we really need someone to come down and just, you know, fill in for a couple weeks. And I, I have a really hard time saying no to that job. I think it might be my favorite job that I've done on board. Well, I'm assuming that modern day cooking on a tall ship is nothing to do with vats, giant vats of salty beef and, <laughs> and like bread that's so hard you could use it as a baseball bat. Yeah, so it, the, the food is much higher quality. Casey has access to uh, better technology to prepare the food for starters. And 
I think so combined with that kind of that fun of it, but with the fact that, you know, it is still a difficult job as, as any, any position on a modern tall ship still is difficult. And so coming together to eat is something that she really enjoys, like kind of this therapeutic experience that they all get to share that she provides, you know. So it sounds really cool that Casey is like, she volunteered for this job and she really digs it and she was really drawn to it when she was a tourist on a tall ship. So, and I'm assuming there's, you know, everyone who works on a tall ship today that, you know, they volunteered, they, they're like really into tall ships and they're like, hey, I wanted to have this really cool job. But back in the day, like when did that switch happen? Because you were saying like the tall ship era doesn't exist anymore, right? Like we don't need right. tall ships. Yeah, we really don't need them anymore because of the technology. I mean, we have, well, first there was the the engines that were driven by steam and then later diesel engines. And, you know, I mean, look at the ships today that we have. Giant ships, those big cargo ships that can haul all that cargo that in these giant ship containers. That's all driven by diesel. That's all, you know, the, the sailors kind of don't have to worry about it. You know, it's... and so there really is this, I think what a lot of people are drawn to today with just sailing in general, not just tall ships, but just all sailboats is the the romanticism of it, where it's this like you are very, you know, connected to the sea this way. I think Casey puts it really well here with this quote. There's absolutely nothing like it, you know, like, especially kind of when you're waking up for your watch and you come on deck and you look out and just don't see anything but see, it's, it's a really good feeling. I, you know, you just really feel, you know, you feel this like sense of, the sense of being very small, but also like you're just surrounded by all of the beauty in the world. It is it's unlike anything. There's no, there's no way to replicate that. You know, there's no way to replicate what it's like when you're, when you're out there on sea for a long time. Yeah. And if I woke up and there was somebody who looked like Johnny Depp on the deck, that wouldn't be too bad either. Yeah, that, that'd be a nice bonus. Yeah. I guess there isn't a Johnny Depp pirate on every ship. No, there's not. <laughs> it, but <laughs> I will say though, the tradition lives on and listening to Casey kind of makes me understand like, yeah, that, I mean, I, I live in the middle of the country. I am as about as landlocked as you can get here in Kansas. I, I can barely swim, but I think I might give it another try after listening to Casey. I really do. Oh, wow, Matt, that's very nice. She inspired you with her passion for tall ships. She did. Yeah. And Casey has a nice quote here about kind of preserving that tradition. And what is the future of these tall ships? Will they continue to kind of stick around? Yeah, I think a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with this, the sense that, that traditional sailing is a thing that deserves to be preserved. Uh, you know, there's definitely a, a historical kind of aspect there and a, a preservation aspect. But, you know, also it's just it's unique. It's, an, it's a unique way to, to experience sailing. You know, I feel like if you want to go out and like go on a cruise ship, although I don't know who wants to be on a cruise ship right now, but it's a very different experience to go out and go make these kind of voyages under sail. And I, I think people, I think people think that there there's something worth preserving there, and that's an experience that's worth being preserved. I think the hard thing now is a lot of the organizations that are running these ships 
are nonprofits. And a lot of these organizations haven't been able to operate their ships because of the pandemic. And so I hope that people still see the value in kind of maintaining these programs and maintaining these ships. Because I think that there's a lot of, I think that there is a lot of value there. There's a lot of educational value. I think there's a lot of historical value to keeping these ships operating and keeping these ships sailing. But it's going to be a hard couple of years. So I, I hope that... You know, I hope that people out there kind of understand that these are really special ships and and the chances to go out sailing on them are things that we should absolutely preserve. I do see it being a challenge, but, you know, I think, it, it, again, it comes back to the, the just how appealing it is for people that actually do experience it. You like it's it's cool to see that kind of passion. Maybe we can maybe we can add a link in our in this episode's description of like an organization that you could donate to or or go to so that you can learn more about tall ship preservation if you want if you're interested maybe Casey's ship or Casey's organization definitely and speaking of which hey we want to hear from you if you are on a tall ship right now or perhaps you've worked on a tall ship or you've been on a tall ship before what did you think? Did you like it? Did How was the experience for you? So, hey, listeners, guess what? We have a Twitter handle. It's JobsoletePod, at JobsoletePod on Twitter. And we definitely want to hear from you if you have a picture of yourself on a tall ship. Because that's super cool, right? Did you ever play dress up like as if you're Jack Sparrow and like you're a wooden leg sailor with a eye patch and a parrot on your shoulder? We want to see all that. So tweet us at JobsoletePod on Twitter. Jobsolete is produced for iHeartRadio by Zealots Manufacturing Hand Forge Podcast for you. It's hosted by us, Helen Hong, that's me, and Matt B. That's me. The show was conceived and produced by Steve Zamarki, Anthony Savini, and Jason Elliott. Our editor is Tommy Nichol. Our researcher is Amelia Polka. Our production coordinator is Angie Jimenez. And theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. A special thanks to our iHeartRadio team, led by Nikki Etor, Katrina Norvell, Ali Cantor, Mangesh Hadi Kador, Will Pearson, Connell Byrne, and Bob Pittman. Zealot. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. 
this time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.